Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. To help prepare for this year's Missouri Conference on History, the Our Missouri podcast invites listeners to meet us in St. Louis for a multi-part series focusing on several projects and institutions that document that city's history and cultural identity. Our guest today is Joan Stack. She received a Ph.D. in art history from Washington University in St. Louis and previously served as curator of European and American art at the University of Missouri's Museum of Art and Archaeology. Presently, she is the Curator of Art Collections for the State Historical Society of Missouri. Welcome to the Art Missouri Podcast, Joan. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, coming up in the future, we're going to have uh, kind of the continuation of this wonderful Battle Lines exhibit in the art gallery that looks at not only editorial cartoons, but really uh, their kind of focus and study of World War II. So tell us a little bit about this next installment, which will be the last installment coming up on March 21st is when it opens, uh, of Battle Lines. Well, to begin with, Battle Lines showcases one of the treasures of the State Historical Society, uh, the cartoon collection, in which we have close to 20,000 editorial cartoons dating all the way back to the 19th century. But our strength is in Missouri cartoonists, say, from about, oh, the era of World War I up to the 1960s. However, we have cartoons that go up into the 21st century. So we've got an incredible collection for understanding history through these uh, interesting objects, these cartoons that ran in newspapers that dealt with current events. And in a way, it's like a snapshot of the way people are reacting to these events, the hopes and fears of people at various times in history. So it's a great resource. And one of our greatest cartoonists is a man by the name of Daniel Fitzpatrick, who is a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist who worked for the Post-Dispatch from the 19-teens all the way up into the 1950s. And he did some incredible cartoons. We have almost 2,000 examples of his work. And one of our strengths is his cartoons dealing with World War II. So we, as we opened this new building in August, we really wanted to showcase this fantastic collection, the Fitzpatrick Collection, and we were coming up to the uh, anniversary of the beginning of the war, and in, in, in Poland, it was uh, 2019, and so we began an exhibition in, in August of 2019, and we are going to end the exhibition in August of 2020. We are about to begin our last installment, the final years of the war, May 1943 to August 1945, uh, which will begin on March 21st and end on VJ Day, August 15th, 2020. Obviously, VJ Day was August 15th, 1945. <laughs> so um, as we look at these cartoons, I think people will have a very interesting experience. We do 
encourage people to walk through chronologically because in a way you get a sense of how people, how the artist and, uh, and also the, his audiences were responding to the various events of the war as they happened in real time. And so you will see a number of themes that will be familiar to you represented in this exhibition. The atrocities that were happening in the occupied countries by both the Nazis in Europe and also the Imperial Japanese Army in Asia. You will see images reflecting the underground movements in the occupied countries that were rising up and trying to resist some of these uh, horrible activities that were happening. You'll see images that reflect the, the growing power of the Allies during this period as they get stronger in Europe and Japan. Uh, first in Europe, you'll see images that reflect uh, the happenings of D-Day and the occupation that eventually ends in VE Day on May 8th, 1945. And then you'll see images that reflect various things that were going on in Asia, but in particular, the slow rise of power of the United States and its allies in the Pacific. And of course, that story ends first with the dropping of the atomic bombs on August 6th and August 9th, and finally with Japan's surrender on August 15th. 1945. So we chronicle all of these things through these images. So Daniel Fitzpatrick is is certainly drawing these, and the readers of the St. Louis Post Dispatch are reading this information on a daily basis in the headlines, but they're seeing these cartoons as well. Um, and he has to really paint a picture not only of what is happening, but really to convey a message. So tell us a little bit about some of the images you all have selected to go into the exhibit. Yeah, in each one of our installments, we've picked a kind of introductory image. And for this one, I picked an image that is called Still Long, Hard, and Bloody, Director Burns. And the image shows two paths that are running through, I guess, a mountain pass. And they're high up. And if you, you can easily fall off the edge of these um, these roads and we can't see the ends of the roads and they point to Tokyo and to Berlin and we see these little figures uh, moving along the paths and of course we read the the caption still long hard and bloody so this idea of these uh, of these roads that are difficult to traverse so the idea is the war is still going on we've got a long hard road ahead uh, to Tokyo and, and Berlin but then of course we have this aspect of the caption, which most people will not make much of today, which is Director Burns. So who is Director Burns? So that is where uh, my research comes in. I, for each of these cartoons, I like to go back to the Post-Dispatch and find out why Fitzpatrick is doing this cartoon at this particular moment in history. I think we can understand the just general idea that the road to victory in Berlin and Tokyo was long and hard. That is something that we understand sort of intuitively. But why on August 18th did this run, August 18th, 1943? Well, this was a period when things were getting a little bit better during the war. It looked like the Allies were probably going to win eventually. But the Director of War Mobilization, James H. Burns, made a radio address to the nation in an attempt 
to manage expectations regarding the timetable for an eventual end to World War II. So on August 18th, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch publishes the entire text of the speech in case some people weren't listening to the radio uh, the night before. So Fitzpatrick is visualizing one of Burns' most important metaphors. So let me just read you briefly what Burns said. He said, it is by no means clear that we are today as near winning the war as the Axis was in the summer of 1940. No full-scale offensive against Japan has yet commenced. No allied army has crossed the borders of Germany. Before that is done, thousands of American soldiers will make the supreme sacrifice. The roads to Berlin and Tokyo are still long, hard, and bloody. So what Fitzpatrick does with his genius as a visual uh, interpreter of ideas is visualize that metaphor. And uh, what we find in these cartoons is that often there's a very specific thing to which uh, the cartoonist is referring. I told you that there was another one that I thought was really interesting because the cartoon itself is pretty obvious. It is an image that shows a Nazi uh, with gun in hand and a torch, and he looks particularly brutish. And he, we see atrocities in the background, dead bodies, uh, somebody being hanged from a tree. But this Nazi is being framed by a hangman's noose. And the caption reads, Outlook for the Murderers. So, again, we understand generally that this means the Nazis are going to have to pay for what they're doing. It ran on November 7, 1943. Why did it run on that day? Well, this is something I learned for the first time, that Joseph Stalin had given a speech that was broadcast nationally in translation and also published in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on November 7th. And in that speech, he goes into all the horrors that the Nazis are committing. He talks about, uh, like the medieval barbarians, Stalin says, the German fiends trample fields, burn down villages and towns, demolish industrial enterprises and cultural institutions. German crimes are evidence of the weakness of the fascist invaders, for this is only done by usurpers who themselves don't believe in their victory. And the more hopeless the position of the Hitlerites becomes, the more viciously they rage in atrocities and plunder. Our people will not forgive the German fiends for these crimes. We shall make the German criminals answer for all their misdeeds. So clearly, Fitzpatrick is responding very specifically to that uh, address by Joseph Stalin. Now, I would not have known that unless I had gone back to the newspaper of November 7, 1943. So I think that the images themselves are quite compelling, and they tell us about some of the major issues and and happenings of the war. But to go into them a little more deeply, we learn how those ideas uh, were brought to the fore. How, how, how did people get interested in the idea that the Germans would be paying for what was going on? Well, one of the things that happens is Joseph Stalin makes this, this speech promising that they will pay. Uh, so we see Fitzpatrick responding to these various things. We have another interesting one uh, related to the Bataan Death March. And Fitzpatrick pictures this bloody hand, this giant hand kind of rising up over the horizon. And he's drawn kind of the tilt of the earth. And uh, the bloody hand on its cuff has 
the um, the this imperial sun, uh, the Japanese war flag, and the uh, title of the cartoon is More Than Baton to Remember. And this particular cartoon uh, ran on January 28th of, uh, of 1944. And uh, it refers to uh, events that happened earlier that year. Let me make sure that's 44 and not 44. Yes, 44. Uh, so that this refers to the Bataan Death March, which actually happened in April of, of 1944, but the Americans had not received word of the atrocities that were committed. And as soon as they began to be publicized, and I believe the first uh, interviews of some of the soldiers who had uh, survived the Death March uh, appeared in, on January 27th, uh, the, um, we start to see how Fitzpatrick is reacting to that news. And I, excuse me, it, the, the original march would have taken place uh, earlier. It would have happened in, in 1943. Uh, so it wasn't until 1944 that the Americans became aware of these atrocities. So Fitzpatrick visualizes that. And so understanding how the imagery relates to the way the news was processed, to the way the information came to the public. Uh, that's interesting, too. And one of the things that we do not have represented here, and it's just that we don't have a cartoon representing it, it wasn't until the very end of the war in Europe that they started to realize the extent of the Holocaust. We certainly have some image, images that reference uh, war crimes, genocide in general, uh, people being forced to, to into labor camps, but they did not realize the kind of mechanized extent of the Holocaust. And so the, the imagery that sort of suggests or refers to an element of that might be things like the outlook for the murderers, but unfortunately we don't have an image about the discoveries in the death camps. And I'm not sure they quite realized the extent of the Holocaust until they started to analyze some of the material at the death camps after the war. So uh, the cartoons, though they show the horrors of World War II, don't really show the extent of the horrors. And uh, that's an important thing to remember as well. I will mention, of course, one of the most powerful cartoons in the exhibit is one of the very last ones, which is a cartoon uh, representing the dropping of the atomic bomb. And it is a image showing a giant hand. Fitzpatrick likes the giant hands. <laughs> and this hand is holding a thunderbolt. And it is striking the earth. And the, the word written on the thunderbolt is atomic power. And under this image is a quote from President Truman. And it is a quote that he issued after the dropping of the atomic bomb on August 6th, 1945, in Hiroshima. This cartoon ran on August 7th, and Truman's quote reads, a new era in man's understanding of nature's forces. And so this image, it's interesting because it certainly represents the power of what the United States was doing, the potential um, fact that this is going to change the outcome of the war, but it also sort of suggests the potential dangers of this power as well. So Fitzpatrick is able to create a cartoon that has 
um, kind of multiple layers of meaning. And I think that's the example of an artist who is more than just a regular cartoonist. Fitzpatrick was, of course, trained as a classical artist, and so he's able to create these images that have a certain depth to them. So they may hint at both the positive and the negative sides of some of the images that he represents. Of course, you're not going to see a positive side to uh, things like Nazi atrocities. But for something like this, the recognition of a, a very powerful force being unleashed and perhaps a, a force that might be difficult to control is sort of suggested in this image, which I think is, uh, is quite interesting and quite powerful. Before we return to our conversation, here's Danielle Griego with some information about upcoming events. The 62nd Annual Missouri Conference on History, hosted by Lindenwood University and sponsored by the State Historical Society of Missouri, will be held March 11th through the 13th, 2020 at the Doubletree by Hilton Hotel in Chesterfield. The Missouri Conference on History is dedicated to bringing together teachers and students of history to share research results, exchange information on teaching and curriculum, and to promote the value of the discipline. You can help the Missouri Conference on History grow and share your message with over 150 people as an exhibitor, by becoming a sponsor, and by purchasing an advertisement in the program. For more information about the Missouri Conference on History, please visit shsmo.org mch. Start networking with other history professionals now on social media by using the hashtag MCH2020. National History Day in Missouri is looking for educators, historians, writers, filmmakers, museum staff, and community members to join them at this year's state contest to judge student projects. The state contest will be held on April 25, 2020 at the University of Missouri-Columbia. To thank you for your essential participation in National History Day, the State Historical Society of Missouri will provide a light breakfast and lunch plus a travel stipend of up to $50 for judges whose round-trip mileage exceeds 75 miles. National History Day in Missouri is a unique opportunity for middle and high school age students to explore the past in a creative, hands-on way by producing a documentary, exhibit, paper, performance, or website on a topic of their choosing. To learn more about National History Day in Missouri, including judge orientation and how to start a program at your own school, please visit shsmo.org nhdmo. Certainly readers of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch would have been familiar with Fitzpatrick's work, not only with the war, but also kind of throughout his career. You mentioned World War I up through, you know, the post-war era. Uh, but the collection includes a number of artists as well who would have worked alongside of him and worked after him. Um, what are those images talking about? What are they focusing on? And who are those artists who are kind of following in Fitzpatrick's path? Yeah, well, one of the first ones who follows uh, Fitzpatrick is Bill Malden. And Bill Malden is a nationally recognized, one of the greatest cartoonists of, um, of the 20th century. Uh, he worked for the Post-Dispatch for a relatively uh, short time, uh, from the late 50s and into the early 60s. And we have digitized uh, all the cartoons he produced during that period. Unfortunately, in our collection, we do not have the originals of all of those cartoons. We don't have the originals of all the Fitzpatrick cartoons that he produced either. Uh, we only have uh, between 10 and 15 original Bill Maldens, which is unfortunate. But of course, he covers uh, important uh, things like, um, oh, uh, the early attempts uh, at, during the civil rights movement of the 1950s. He covers things like um, the election of President Kennedy, uh, various events in the late 50s, early 60s. 
Then later we have uh, Tom Englehart. Now, Tom Englehart stays with the Post-Dispatch for a lot longer than Bill Malden. And he is there from 1962 all the way up until the 1990s when he retires, but he continues to sub uh, for the other cartoonists who are working there. And so our very last Fitzpatrick cartoon is from uh, 2001. In fact, he does a cartoon related to 9-11 that we have in our collection. So we have a collection of St. Louis Post-Dispatch cartoonists that spans from World War I all the way up to 9-11. Quite exciting. We also have other Missouri uh, cartoonists represented in our collection. Unfortunately, aside from the Post-Dispatch cartoonists, we don't have any of these digitized yet, but we have a uh, Cartoonists uh, from the Kansas City Star, S.J. Ray, who worked from the 1930s into the 1950s. We have cartoons uh, by uh, Lee Judge, who is currently working for the Kansas City Star. And also among our more recent uh, acquisitions are cartoons by John Darko, who works for now the Columbia Missourian here in, um, on campus here at the University of Missouri. Uh, before he worked for the Columbia Daily Tribune, but he is syndicated nationally as well. So we have a wonderful uh, collection of different cartoons and covering a wide array, a, array of issues. Uh, we also have a collection called the Mayo Collection, which includes cartoonists from all over the nation, a number of Pulitzer Prize winners, for instance, Herbert Block, uh, as one example. Uh, but we have uh, thousands of cartoons aside from our great collections of Missouri cartoons. So uh, it's a great way to study history. And I was telling you earlier, I think about young people who come uh, to our institution who are so used to understanding things visually. It's very difficult for some of them to sit down and read a scholarly book. They like things short and, and sweet. Uh, you know, they want to be able to read it in a, a paragraph. <laughs> and they also tend to um, respond very well to visual images because that's what they're seeing on their phones and on the internet. And so I think the cartoons are really a great way uh, to introduce them to something uh, like World War II or like other issues that we have represented in our collection. For example, right now at the uh, Ellis Library here at the University of Campus, we have, uh, we have a number of cartoons related to voting rights that were produced by a number of different artists in our collection, including Tom Englehart, but the uh, exhibit includes several other artists as well. So one way to understand these issues in a way that's very, I guess, very accessible to a lot of people who might have trouble with a scholarly book uh, would be to look at these cartoons. They introduce you to ideas. They show it to you in a visual way, sort of like a Saturday Night Live sketch can epitomize a p particular issue that's happening right now and help tell you something about it in a way that's entertaining and funny and not just dry and boring, like perhaps uh, reading a scholarly report. So I, I really hope that this collection will broaden the appeal of, of uh, understanding history and studying history to uh, a number of different audiences. I think it's a very fascinating collection and something I've used with my students too. And the, the ability to kind of go online and access them and show them, you know, here are events we're talking about in history and here's how people are interpreting it. 
scholarly writing, but also in, in art as yeah. well, I think is very, very important. Not too far down the road here will be another major exhibit coming up in the Center for Missouri Studies Art Gallery, um, looking at the centennial of really the 19th Amendment and women's suffrage. Uh, tell us a little bit about that exhibit. Yes, this is a really exciting exhibit uh, from my point of view because I love collaborations and the opportunity to integrate our collections in with the collections of other uh, departments, other institutions. And in this case, we are collaborating with the Missouri Historic Costume and Textile Collection, which is run out of the Textile and Apparel Man Management Department here at the University of Missouri. And they have this wonderful collection of clothing from all eras of history. And what they have done is put together clothing that dates from the suffrage era, clothing of a type that the suffragettes would have worn, as well as clothing that goes forward uh, into the era of uh, women actually voting after the suffrage amendment in 1920, and all the way up to the present day with um, some clothing that was worn by some of Missouri's political and, um, and leaders, various leaders of both political and we have a Supreme Court justice, so a judiciary uh, leader that reflect the aftermath of the suffrage movement. In other words, what it leads to is eventually we start having women as Supreme Court justices, women as mayors, women as senators. For example, we have a, a suit worn by Claire McCaskill, recent uh, senator from Missouri, as well as a suit worn by Vicki Hartzler, who is the representative uh, from Missouri currently, uh, representing the district that we are in. So uh, a variety of images that help tell the story of uh, Missouri women from suffrage to statecraft. Now, it really does focus on the suffrage era. So we have a lot of really kind of cool images from that era, including a recreation of the Golden Lane, uh, which was a suffrage uh, protest that took place in 1917 in St. Louis, in which all the women wore white, which was a suffrage co color, as well as yellow sashes. So you'll see the suffrage colors tend to be white, yellow, and purple. Uh, but the gold, in the Golden Lane, they really emphasized the white and the yellow. And they all held, um, not all of them, but many of them held yellow parasols as well. And they stood quietly along this long road, all of these women just silently protesting uh, their lack of ability to speak in a way uh, through, through the vote. And so we have a recreation of that at the beginning of our exhibit with the, the four different uh, mannequins wearing these beautiful white dresses of the era uh, with the umbrellas and with those sashes, votes for women. So that is an interesting way of kind of materializing this historical event and really making it more tangible. I always feel that the having clothing in an exhibit really makes it seem more real because we can imagine a person being there wearing these clothing, wearing these beautiful uh, outfits. So it's, um, it, it's a really powerful thing, I think. And um, among the artwork that we have in the exhibit is a, uh, is a lithograph that was designed by George Caleb Bingham. Uh, you may know about George Caleb Bingham's election series in which he did uh, the stump speaking as the man is campaigning uh, back in the 19th century 
to get elected uh, to office. Then we have the election day, the uh, image called county election, where we see people lining up to vote. And finally, verdict of the people, which was the announcement of the results of the elections. Now, all of this is taking place in the 19th century. Now, of all of these three images, the only one that represents women as a part of this process is the verdict of the people. And in the verdict of the people, there are women up on a balcony, but they're not just watching the results of the election. They are holding up signs and waving handkerchiefs and shawls, uh, participating in the process to a certain extent. Of course, they don't have the vote. So the image both shows the negative side of, of women's position during that period because they are separated from the men. We know they can't vote. But it also shows their growing involvement in the world of politics during the 1840s and 50s. Uh, of course, the Seneca Convention takes place in the 1840s. And by the 1850s, women are very involved in, in political movements, especially uh, movements such as um, abolitionism, anti-slavery on a more moderate sense. That's probably what our, our Missouri women <laughs> are involved in. And, um, and uh, the idea of prohibition of alcohol. All of those were, were kind of movements of virtue that women were very active in during this period. In an earlier period, they tended to be active behind the scenes by the 1840s and 50s they're beginning to be more public in the way that they are expressing themselves. And that's reflected in this George Caleb bringing a print. So we have incorporated various uh, artworks from our collection into this, um, this exhibit, which really uh, focuses on the clothing. But we have some various artworks that sort of supplement the ideas represented in the clothing as we follow suffrage movement in Missouri through history. Well, thank you very much, Joan. I look forward to seeing the exhibit when it's up, and I encourage people to, to come by the Center for Missouri Studies um, and not only see the uh, Suffrage to Statecraft exhibit, which opens up, like I said, on March 14th, uh, but as well as the next installment of Battle Lines on March 21st. And of course, shsmo.org has the online materials for the editorial cartoon collection, so people can view those as well. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.